Good morning, John. How's it going? Pretty good. I am ready for another outstanding bro show episode. Yeah, me too. And you know, some people are new here, so I'll just tell you, we are actual brothers. My name's Jerry. My name's John. And we are the bro show. We are those Daniels boys. And uh, we we talk about four things every week. We usually record on Saturday mornings, which uh, is... A great time. Great time. We have to miss cartoons in order to do it. So there's that. Hey, you know, what are those four things we talk about, John? Bring them on. Okay, here they are. Number one, we talk about an animal, and we have every six months we change animals. We call that a season. This is the season of the whale, so we have a whale story. Secondarily, we talk about a word that we ran into during the week, during our research or other places, perhaps Mm -hmm. in a coffee shop. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and then uh, it could be a bakery. And then we have to, a topic that we ha- usually have two takes on. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we agree. And so that's another thing we talk about. Lastly, we share two groaners. John shares them with me. He he actually oh. quizzes me. He quizzes me to see yeah, if I can get, I, I get them. These are these are very difficult. But if you come through quite often, I respect well, that and I appreciate it and give you a cupid doll when you do. He does. He does. All right. So, hey, uh, what T-shirt are you wearing today? I am wearing Season of the Whale. I mean, I just it was just overwhelming today. I figured uh, mm. it's the it's the shirt that I am really embracing. What can I say? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, it's it an impressive nice one. Thing. It gets a, it's an eye opener. I mean, it's one that gathers oh. some attention when I wear it. Mm. Yeah, I like that shirt too. You're the only a person so, on earth who has one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't oh even have no, one. you don't have one. Yeah. Oh no. dear. So, what shirt are you wearing? Mm. I know what you. I am wearing. wearing. <laughs> I'm wearing season of the ox. Ah. Oh, those yes. Were the days. Those were the days. That's a I solid, almost, strong, steady shirt. It is. I almost wore a season of the bear. Hmm. I decided last minute I'm going ox. So. Anyways. Okay. Yeah, so hey, we got a sponsor. We got a sponsor. Do we have a sponsor? Our sponsor yes. is Save the Whales. Save the Whales is a nonprofit organization formed in 1977 by Maris uh, Uh This uh, woman decided to uh, use as her crusade doing something good for the whales. She's out on the Pacific Coast on California. Uh, her revenue source to start out with is something near and dear to our hearts is T-shirts. So one of the things you can do, you can get a T-shirt through looking at the links with our show notes. But what this this uh, organization primarily does is provide educational materials that can be used in classrooms so that kids can early learn early about whales and how important they are to uh, ecology, environment, etc. Uh, when called upon, they can uh, do special uh, projects. And they have done that historically, and they're just a solid organization. They've met the test of time. Save the whales. Very good, John. Very good. Hey, we have a whale story, too. We sure do. Uh, this this story is one about it's, – it's kind of a sad story. Um, yeah. Quite often we – you know, yeah. people have gone to SeaWorld or amusement parks such as that where they – 
basically have animals do tricks. Well, it isn't uh, chimpanzees. It's it's orca whales. Um, yep. So what we want to talk a little bit is the, the plight of the whales as it, it, as it exists, some of the – not necessarily without it. It's just giving some general uh, uh, facts as it relates to it. So I think one of the things that I, I think we need to emphasize is the fact that there's a difference between a porpoise and a whale, and quite often people think about a porpoise is what you see doing these – these wonderful tricks as they go through hoops. And then all of a sudden somebody says, well, we do it with whales. But really, are they doing it with whales? Perhaps you can no. explain what an orca whale is and give me a little bit of the differences between a porpoise and a whale. Uh, yes, uh, an orca is technically not a whale. However, it is a very large dolphin or porpoise. Right. And Probably one of the yeah, biggest. Probably the biggest. Uh, yeah, they are good sized. Uh, they're frisky, uh, more frisky than a whale. That's the biggest thing I would notice about them. Uh, and, and dolphins are even more frisky. Frisky meaning higher, higher metabolic rate, you know, more active in the water and stuff like that. Whales tend to be more languid, more slow moving, uh, and very long and, and big and powerful. And so what would you are, say would be the size of a of a of an orca or this large porpoise? Would it uh, ten feet, eleven feet, twelve feet, uh, thirty, twenty-five? Really? Like that. Wow. Okay, big twenty-five. One, yeah. Okay. The biggies. Yeah, twenty-five. The big boys. They're they're good sized and they're they're not they're not skinny either. They're they're not fat, but they're they're substantial. And there's two kinds of of uh, orcas or sometimes called killer whales. Uh, wh- <laughs> There's there's almost like a, a vegan version of uh, an orca, and they only eat fish. But the other version of the orca eats mammals, like mm. other whales or right. whales, whales and right. uh, seals. Seals they really like seals. So uh, okay. yeah, that so there's two kinds, and the kind in captivity are mostly uh, the fish eating kind. When we say the word captivity, I think we're typically we think of these amusement parks and we think in terms of tanks. But I think the thing that I, I feel is a broader definition might be that this is a, it's a situation where they can't basically do what they're supposed to do, and that is migrate. So even the scientists that maybe give them a larger uh, environment in which yeah. to live, they yeah. will perhaps have bigger than the tank. But the bottom line is these whales are not in a good spot excuse me, no. orcas, uh, when they are put into this this environment. And history shows that uh, that they die sooner. They have mm-hmm. a less than a bit, they have a, a lesser tendency to be able to give birth. And when they do, quite often it's stillborn. Stillborn, So yeah. it's just a sad state. So I think some of the factors, the obvious one obviously is just not having the 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 uh, the, the size of the tank, the volume in order to do something. But there's noise as an issue, too, with them, I think. Is that, you yes, know, it is. About, yeah. Yes, it is. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, they all, uh, like whales, uh, uh, these guys have used uh, sound to locate, echolocate things. And so because of that, they're very sensitive to sound. So, and, yeah. yeah. And the sounds that it, they actually are going to hear in this environment are different and foreign to them. Yeah. They're disturbing. And that presents a problem. So, uh, and, and clearly, a lot of times these these captive orcas are put in a position where they aren't able to socialize. They're alone. This and this uh, mammal uh, relies a lot upon that socialization in order to to help lead a healthy uh, life. And without that, they've got a problem. 
So I just, yeah, yeah, they're just like human beings. They they have families. You know, they right. called they're called pods. And and these guys have been studied forever. So if if you really want to understand this problem, check out the show notes. We've got a link to uh, everything you need to know about orcas in captivity, and also they have the whole genealogy of of a, of an orca, which shows Good. where they were captured, what pod they're part of, who their brothers and sisters are, and I mean. You start to realize as you read this web page and, and this website, uh, WDC, uh, it's called, it, right. you realize very quickly that this is slavery. I mean, this is yeah. just like just like human beings being captured in Africa and sold on the market and then placed willy-nilly throughout, you know, let's say the United States. Just an example, not that we're saying it. The good news is that there are organizations, other nonprofits, other than the one that we have as our sponsor, that yes. specifically uh, have as their their mission to bring the awareness with, to this problem and trying to confront and make sure that what we can do is maybe eliminate it as much as possible. I'd like to think we'll get to this extent that we are with elephants, yes. you know, where we basically don't have circus elephants anymore. What we need to do is take that same stance and use it with respect to these these mammals, which are, are, are very important. So, totally agree with you. Totally agree. Oh, boy. So, hey, we have a word. We have a word. Do we have a word? Well, uh, this last week we had a uh, we had Ash Wednesday, and before Ash Wednesday, we have Fat Tuesday. And there's a variety of ways in which this can be celebrated. Mardi Gras is one of them. But here in Chicago, what we do for, for uh, Fat Tuesday is there a certain Polish pastry which, is, which seems to surface, and every bakery on the face, uh, in, around Chicago makes them. You can find them at grocery stores. And I like the word. The word is... Punchki. Now, Punchki, you're not, when I give you the spelling, you're going to say, what? It's P-A-C-Z-K-I, and it's pronounced Punchki, which is the plural. The, uh, the, the singular would be Punchek, but uh, what we do is we usually people don't even say that. They just, well, you know, a lot of people just usually have more than one, and I would have yeah, to agree they do. with that. Yeah. So it's, they give you a definition. It's a round Polish pastry similar to a donut usually filled with fruit, topped with sugar and icing. So kind of think of a jelly donut that's kind of on steroids. Uh, It's a lot bigger. It's filling. The thing about this pastry, though, is that although it has a sprinkle of sugar on top of it, it doesn't – Powdered sugar. It does not really taste that sweet. In fact, if you get the original size and weight ones at a Polish bakery – you're going to be surprised. In fact, let's maybe what I ought to do is just maybe dunk one of these and make sure that I'm oh. telling the truth here. Oh, oh you're going to dunk one? Mm, yeah. Mm. Yep. So the thing that, good. The, the thing is that with this pastry, the it, it's like everybody concentrates on making sure that the dough. Mm, good, good, good. Mm. It's so good, and. Um, and as a result, it's like the filling is just like the cherry on top of a sundae. It's the afterthought. The important wow. thing is, is that so you could have custard in it. You could have uh, fruit fillings, strawberry, blueberries with the, either the jam or fresh, whatever. Mm. In mm. fact, because it's Fat Tuesday and maybe what I'm like, I'm going to let it loose a little bit. You can actually get drunken uh, punch key and what they have <laughs> sort of a liquor flavor filling in them. Uh-oh. And so Uh-oh. you can uh, I think there should be a limit to how many of those you eat, though, to be perfectly honest. Wow. So are they pretty potent? There, I did not have one. I decided to stick with the morning ones, so that's okay. what I ate. 
So I okay. found this, and there's a, there was a big article that is in the show notes, which which links to a, a Neil Steinberg's article where he he said he he goes through some of the the different ins and outs as it relates to this wonderful this wonderful delicacy, which is our word punchki. I love to say it punchki, punchki. I like it too. Punjectum. I like that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey! We got a big story that we're covering in our two takes. Yeah, this story is enormous. It's a challenge just to kind of go through the the enormous amount of information as it relates to it. What brought this to our attention? Number one, we don't normally do follow-ups, but this was compelling for uh, several reasons. The story has to do with Boeing Airlines, and what we used as, uh, to, to talk about it is a documentary called Downfall, A Case Against Boeing, a documentary that was put together by Rory Kennedy, uh, the youngest of the Ethel Robert Kennedy children. And she's had she has a, a, a nice uh, pedigree. She's uh, she's done a, a great movie on Vietnam. So the movie was uh, premiered and, and Sundance did. A, it was critically acclaimed. Some of the reviews after that have been it's amazing. Even the reviews that are not so good seem to find the word impressive in the review. So you figure that one out. It premiered mm. on Netflix in, in February. So what are we talking about here? Well, I think. The platform from which we're talking about is two events that took place, one in 2018, one thousand in uh, two, in, in 2019. And in October of 2018, in Indonesia, a 737 MAX Boeing airline crashed, killing all the, the, the passengers. Mm. In March 10th of 2019, in Ethiopia, a 737 MAX crashed. All the passengers. Now we're talking together. Well over 300, maybe 350 yeah. passengers passed away between these two. And the fact is that the series of events that take place before, after, whatever, as it relates to this, is just mind-boggling. So, yeah. Yeah, what we what we have is we've got a, an organization, Boeing, and it used to be when Boeing, when you said the word Boeing, if I if it isn't Boeing, I ain't going. Going is what the quite often people would say because <laughs> yeah, they were known so for safe. quality. They're super so safe. safe. They have this reputation. However, this reputation obviously has been tarnished with this with these incidents. I think when we took a look at it, there's going to be a lot of little numbers that come that just hit you in the face, and there's some backstories. So I'm going to briefly go through a little bit of background as it relates to it. I think the uh, the backstory on this as we take a look at Boeing. Starts with me back in the late 90s, 1996, when Boeing, which is a was a corporate culture of product quality at all costs, ended up merging with McDonnell Douglas, which basically felt share value was where things ha happened. So in other words, the idea being that the way to make money is to cut costs. Just mm -hmm. get a product out there that has a high profit margin and keep it in the air is the way they kind of looked at it. So what happened is wow. McDonald. Douglas uh, executives kind of took over and morphed. And unfortunately, Seattle, of course, is where uh, Boeing was located. They began to feel the pressure of that. Now, to give you an idea how the, the, the executives wanted to have the clear head and not be confused and pushed and pressured by the product guys, they decided to even move their headquarters physically away from Seattle. So they moved to Chicago so they wouldn't be bothered by things such as product quality and control. Mm -hmm. So it, a bad move. On bad. the other front, we've got an industry in which Boeing had always been the top dog. And all, all of a sudden, this European uh, 
newcomer comes on board called Airbus. And Airbus, yeah. by 2003, shortly after uh, McDonnell Douglas takes over, basically overtakes in the number of airplanes that have been produced or sold in 2003. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, we've got a, cor- a culture which has put pressure, pressure, pressure on delivering a product with big profit margins so we can satisfy our shareholders. Now yep. what we've got is we've got competition which is going to work against that. All yep. of a sudden, we're confronted with the fact that that Boeing needs feels a need to improve. At the same time, Airbus pulls a real fast one, and they come up with a brand new clean sheet design, right? You know, nothing left over from a previous product, airplane right. that is out there because what they're, the the industry the 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 airlines want is they want a fuel efficient, powerful engine airplane. Gas yep. prices go up. We we have to address it. So Airbus does a great job. All of a sudden. Boeing looks at it and realizes, oh boy, our pants are down here. We aren't, we aren't ready. We, we, we got to do nope. something quick. Yep. So what they have been able to live off of is their original design 737. This is a design that started in the late 60s. So here we are, 2010. Airbus is putting that, that wonderful uh, new, uh, I think the name of it is a, a Nero uh, 3, 320 or 340. There's a brand new plane out there. The Neo. And the Neo. The Neo, exactly. Thank you so much. It's the Neo. Mm. So what they decide to do is they say, look, we don't have time to design a clean sheet, wipe the, the, the whole design off and start for new. We're going to take our 737 and we're going to put a much more powerful engine in it, tweak it a little bit. We'll be ready to go out there. And fuel efficient. Make it fuel efficient, too. And yeah. fuel efficient the whole bit. But in order to do that, what they've got to do is they've got to change where the engine's located this and that, and the good news is that, every, you know, based on their reputation, orders are coming in like mad. As they do the testing, they realize that the engine is taking over the plane to the extent that they need to control the engine. So they mm. come up with this device called a, a Mac, a, what is it called, MCAS? Uh, yeah, MCAS. Governor. MCAS, MCAS. Yeah, MCAS. 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 So they put this governor on it, this 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 thing to to control it, and realize yeah. that they thought that it was well. This will be a problem when the ball when it's high speed up in the air. But the more testing they do, they realize, wait a minute, this is a problem that we're going to have to deal with in terms of controlling this powerful engine, even at low speeds. And of course, low speeds at, take at takeoff. Place yeah, at, at takeoff. takeoff. So this kind of gives you an idea that um, of, of of where we stand. So. Yeah. Here we are. We are the second year into them it being introduced. Boeing's uh, stock is going right through the roof. Oh, by the way, the big, the big thing is no training. No training. It's an that's old airplane. So yeah, that, no yeah, training. That's going to that's going to come up as as we get between those two dates of the first uh, crash and the second, where all of a sudden, well, one yeah, you're right. So the other thing about training is that one of the great costs and one of the selling points that Boeing could say, look, we're not only going to give you a plane. But you're not going to have to do all the training. It's not going to be as expensive for you, the education of your pilots. Good That's point. Right. So that, that is very, very critical to this whole exercise. So what do we have? We have two aircraft that crash. Are they U.S.? No, they're not U.S. Oh, wait a minute. They're in foreign countries? Boeing says, well, you know what? Those pilots over there in those other countries, they're not that good. No. They, they just, they're dummies. They don't know what they're doing out there in the air. Mm. So what they try to do in the interim is they try to blame the doggone pilots for it. 
when in the background the FAA has found out that basically through their study that the plane that the uh, that Boeing has put together the 787 Max through the life of one of those planes. It is probably going to have 15 crashes, which means it's going to have a crash probably once every two or three years. All of a sudden, what Boeing has, what what the the study has shown is that what Boeing has done is they've put together an aircraft that is one of the most dangerous aircrafts in in aircraft uh, industry history. Yeah, history. So where does this where does this study go? Oh, it doesn't go anywhere. Boeing knows about the problem. FAA does. Boeing, because of its reputation, though, can browbeat the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. So wow. they can basically wheel and deal. They can they can get away with it. So FAA doesn't release the report. You know, they basically let Boeing get a lot a lot of way away with a lot of stuff during it. You know, they because Boeing yeah. kept on. You know, all of a sudden they say, well, with that MCAS, you're going to have to do training. No training. No training. By all costs. No training. So. Um, so that the FAA is is clearly the the, the weak the, the weak uh, link here. Yeah. So um, out of all this, we've got the two crashes, and uh, clearly Boeing is all of a sudden it comes out eventually. The New York Times, when we originally did this story, did an incredible job of telling almost seventy five percent of what I've already talked about. Yeah. But there but there were the, the pieces I think that are important are the McDonnell Douglas. The corporate yes. culture piece. Yes. And the piece that we haven't really talked about, which is emphasized and I think is a big part of it, is the families. Ooh, the families yeah. of the, the, the victims, the, the people that died in these two crashes, make a big point of, you know, going to Congress, making sure that the plight and what's going on and that, that they just can't believe when they find out, particularly the second flight. When they find out that Boeing was basically hiding something and this plane should have been grounded, I give you an idea of Ooh. we've actually lived this story to some extent. Yes, we did. We've we actually, did. Southwest Airlines uses 737s exclusively. They do that because you know they're it, it makes sense they're because regional. they deal with one plane yeah. and it, it works for them. We flew Southwest. So we were down in Florida on, uh, in, when the second crash took place. And what's amazing about this, to show you how the FAA really was slowing the trigger because of the power of Boeing, we were one of the last nations to ground the planes. China immediately grounded the planes with their, their agency. Uh, but it took – FAA didn't even do it. Guess who basically stopped those planes in the air in the U.S.? You're not going to believe no. it. President uh, Trump. President Trump is the one who stopped it. FAA didn't even do it. So right. I think that that was, uh, th- that was kind of interesting. And, of course, the bottom line here is, as we look at forward, is it took 20 or months before Boeing could recertify. Obviously, the damage has been done. It, their, their reputation is uh, tarnished. The yep. top executive who basically you would think this guy uh, for Boeing should be uh, tarred and feathered and this and that, whatever. He comes out of it. He resigns with a $20 million parachute. A oh, $62 yes, million dollar parachute. $62 million is what he what? went with. 62 oh yeah. Landed. So yeah. the last fact to give on this is that Boeing realized that as they go through the Senate uh, investigations, this and that, they can, they obviously can be held culpable for criminal uh, infraction here. 
So what do they do? They throw money at the problem. They settle for $2.5 billion in order to avoid getting criminal prosecution. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the story. I'm I kind of raced it a little bit and didn't give you a chance to say much, but uh, feel oh, free to okay. jump in there, bro. Oh well, yeah. I just MCAS people are curious about MCAS. What it is is that uh, during takeoff and at other times, because of the position of the engine, the nose of the plane tends to go that's up. That's it. Give so that, what M- that deep. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So MCAS, what it does is it adjusts the ailerons in the back of the plane. To bring the nose down, but right. the flaw is it really takes the nose down, and after ten seconds it takes over the plane. So you have ten <laughs> seconds to turn it off. Otherwise, right. you're going to go into the ocean or the dirt, which is what happened in this case. Uh, the first yes. one went into the ocean. Second one went into the dirt. It's compelling uh, filmmaking. These guys who did this uh, this Netflix movie, you should watch it if interested at all in how things work in the world it is revelatory it is quite excellent yeah i kind of look at it in terms of you know you put a powerful engine in anything it's it's tendency as you drive is to go up so the nose is going up on this doggone aircraft and you need something to control it you got mcas that's the governor's trying to control it but you've got another problem that that you've mentioned to me before and that is the sensor the one sensor yeah, so usually, they have a single sensor that tells <laughs> that tells MCAS when to kick off. And if yes. a bird hits it, which it does, they, they yeah. get knocked off all the time. You're supposed to have more than one. You've got to have a backup for the for the sensor. And they and that's yeah. that's considered like basic quality control principle. This is like this is a no brainer. And of course, yep. what does Boeing do? They decide to have only one sensor, which is really, really, really bad. Hey, John, they were in a hurry. They were in a hurry. Yeah, well, Airbus it, was sniffing at their heels. Yeah, I, I think another uh, glaring detail is the fact that between the the two, not only does Boeing know that they've got a problem, but they insist that they can fix the problem before another plane will go down. And also, they say, well, mm. we've given the pilots between the two crashes what they need to do in order to fix this problem. They need to turn MCAS off. Guess what? The second pilot, the second plane did. The pilots did. They turned, turned it, it off. off. Didn't do yep. any good. Nope. I know. You, you only have 10 seconds. You only have 10 seconds to turn it off. They didn't know that at the time. <laughs> wow. I think about it. You know, oh. you go, 10 seconds. That's that's plenty of time. That's no time. Because wow. when you're in a plane, when you're in a plane and lights are going off and they have this thing on the rudder that vibrates yeah. it, you know, that it's very alarming. They show it in the in the film what this looks like. The film you live is through great the, with that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you live it. Really you good. live it. You 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 live it, and it, it's it's really it it captures you. There's no doubt about it. John, now we need we need groaners, and I it was tough because I picked some airplane groaners, but I had to be very careful because Ooh. a lot of them had in the answer Boeing, and I thought that's not gonna fly. Oops, no. Oh. <laughs> so here we go. Okay. Our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as The Coach. The Coach has been, for a long, long time, providing us with two or three groaners, and I have the opportunity to then uh, give these questions out. They're commonly referred to as dad jokes. What happens when you wear a watch on a plane? What happens? When you wear a watch on a plane? plane. When you wear what a watch mean? on a plane, basically uh, accelerated time. Um, mm-hmm. Time flies. 
Oh. That's so bad. Oh. oh. Okay, I should have known that. I should have known that. Here, here's right. one that we'll, we'll keep this one on the ground, okay? So let's let's go with this one here. What do you call it when you are sick of being in the airport? What do you call it when you are sick of being in the airport? Air sickness? I don't know. Pretty close. It's terminal illness. Oh, that's good. That's better. That's better. That's better. Oh. Yeah, I try to uh, finish up with a bang. So, hey, mission accomplished. Got it. We got it off the ground here pretty well. well Can you have any more air puns? Uh, no, I think that's all I can handle for one for one show. Talk to you later. Right. Jeez. Bye.